Hey, y'all. It's Bud Elliott of SB Nation Recruiting here tonight for the SB Nation Recruiting Podcast, along with my SB Nation colleague, Richard Johnson. How you guys doing? I am uh, extremely cramped, but happy to be here. Yeah, we are in a tiny little booth here, but it's one that has excellent sound, I'm told, in the New York studios of uh, SB Nation Fox Media. And really glad to be joining you on National Signing Day. We're here to recap NSD. Uh, this is the SB Nation College Ball Recruiting Podcast, and that name applies because, well, everybody took all the creative podcast names for recruiting, <laughs> so we went with the, <laughs> the search engine play. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at SBN Recruiting, and you can follow Richard at RJ underscore rights. All right, and all the fabulous content on SB Nation for recruiting, just go to SBNation.com, and there's a big button at the top that says recruiting. It's actually the largest button you can click. We got to pay these bills, man. Yeah, hey, man, let's, let's, let's pay the bills. But we pay, we pay the bills via those online advertising. There's no advertising for you on this podcast, from us at least. So let's get into it. Richard, what, what do you think was the main takeaway from today's National Signing Day? Um, I, I think at the end of the day, the biggest takeaway has to be Georgia. I, I cannot find a bigger story than Georgia. Um, you know, we sat here two years ago or a year and a half ago, whatever, and, and Mark Richt is getting fired at Georgia because he can't put a fence up around the state. And that is exactly what uh, what Kirby Smart did today. I, th- there's nothing that that unmitigated success for Georgia. They, they crush uh, the SEC East, um, they come in number three in the composite top uh, top two four seven rankings. Um, and, you know that's a great great day. You know they've already got the quarterback of the future banked. Uh, they got guys coming back. Uh, the Georgia hype train is going to roll. Uh, maybe not this year, but in two years you're going to start to look and say, you know, where did these guys come from? And you're going to point to February first, twenty seventeen. And, and we can talk about you know, hey, fencing in the state, and and you see oftentimes LSU do it. You see Alabama do it. You see. Well, these other states do it, but Georgia, for a variety of reasons, I think first, Georgia has a lot more people who are not necessarily from Georgia living in it than, let's say, Alabama or Louisiana. People don't move to those states quite as much as they do to Georgia, specifically because of metro of the metro Atlanta area. Number one, and the number two, geographically, like if you had to fight a war and you had to defend your turf as Georgia, and you think about like all these other schools, Clemson to the east, South Carolina to the east, North Carolina to the, to the north. Bama and Auburn to the west, Florida and Florida State, just a short trip down 75. There are a lot of places in Georgia that are actually closer to those schools that I named than, than they are to Athens. Yeah, and, and I think that Georgia, it's just, there are, there are a lot of hands in the pot, like you said. And because of that, I think that makes this class even more impressive because you were kind of able to fight some other teams off. Um, but I think that this goes to uh, more of a, a future um, in a sense of, hey, you know, we're Georgia. We're putting up a fence around the state. You, If you're going to come in, you're going to have to fight with us. And if you're a kid in Atlanta or, you know, Savannah or wherever, you're going to say, hey, you know, maybe I, I want to go to Georgia because of we're going to win, you know, whatever title or whatever as a state. We're, we're all Georgia boys and we're going to come together and we're going to do whatever it is we're going to do uh, from, from a goal standpoint. So you've got those things working in your favor. Exactly. Kirby Smart seems to have inspired more state pride in these kids than, than I've sensed earlier, having talked to him in previous seasons. Uh, in, in total, Georgia, two five-stars, 18 four-stars. That is uh, really lapping the SEC East. By the time you listen to this, we might actually have a story about about that on SBNation.com about how Georgia relative to the SEC East, really uh, historically uh, good. They also addressed an immediate need. I know, I know we, we both like the big uglies. Offensive Absolutely. line. Georgia went out. I think they got five of them. Several potential instant impact guys, three tackles, Isaiah Wilson, 
they, they, they got Demery. They got Andrew Thomas, who I'm extremely high on out, out of the Pace Academy there out, outside of Atlanta. And then they also got, got some really great DBs. They got D'Angelo Gibbs out of, out of Georgia. And then they also got Richard LeCount out, out of South Georgia. And Richard LeCount, I call him LaMarcus Joyner Jr. <laughs> I don't think he's quite as physical as Joyner was, but he is, man, just a spark plug. A little bit shorter for a safety, but you can play him all, all over the field. I think he projects extremely well if you put him as a nickelback, kind of like how FSU used Joyner or how uh, Alabama used Javier Arenas back in the day uh, when Nick Saban was building that program. Who was the defensive coordinator back then? That was none other than Georgia coach Kirby Smart. And with this, we transition, I think, into Alabama. Yeah. Uh, that, that's a seamless uh, That really is. That's, that's a segue. good segue. Yeah, I like that. We're on it. It's like a 12-hour day, and you still got it. So, Alabama. Um, we, we said previously the inevitability of Alabama is boring. But you still kind of have to marvel at it. Yeah. Like, I, I tweeted later earlier today, like – when you know when we're at the when we're on the other side of Saban, whoever it is takes over. Um, when they start to recruit at not this level, we're going to be able to really put in context what this level of recruiting really is, folks. This is incredible. We're talking seven years in a row, number one, ten years in a row in the top three. So we're going to say let's extrapolate this to whatever year Saban Saban hangs it up. Alabama finishes number six, number seven, number eight in the country, a fine and dandy signing class. And the, the wheels are falling off and, and the house is falling down because uh, because Alabama has fallen off of this elite recruiting level. It is just it, it it's unfathomable to be doing this at this level, this well, this sustained. It, it's just it, they are the best. You have to marvel at it. Six, five stars, 18, four stars. They got a top hundred player defensive in Jerez Parks to gray shirt, which means basically <laughs> wait a semester to enroll. This is a kid with, with multiple programs beating down his door. Really nice look at, looking defensive end prospect there. And and he wants to play in Tuscaloosa so bad that he's going to delay his enrollment. And, and that's not the first time this happened. Uh, you know, a situation of, I believe happened both Scarborough, you know, other programs do that. You don't hear about this because other programs do this with three stars, borderline two stars, you know, they don't do this with guys that there are 128 other programs that would beat this kid's door down. And Alabama can just tell him to kind of, eh, you know, sit down for a little bit um, and come in. It's just it's it's wild. Now, I know there's one kid in Bama's class that you did a scouting report for SBNation.com and, and you just love watching. Yeah, I, I love Alex Leatherwood. Um, he's in the class already. Uh, he's an early enrollee, but he's a guy that so he's a really big guy. He's six six. Um, you know, and with guys that are that big at this age, a lot of times it's hard for them to play within their bodies, essentially, especially um, on the offensive line. But the way Leatherwood plays, he's able to play within his body with these long arms, with these long limbs. Um, and, and when he comes out of his stance, he doesn't like he comes out of his stance as compact as you can expect a six six man to come out of a stance and to strike a defender. That's 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 relatively rare for someone to do it consistently and on an elite level. And that's what Leatherwood does. Um, he's just a really impressive prospect. He's already on campus. He's already in the weight room. Um, and so you know some of the baby fat will go. He'll start eating right, that kind of thing. And and he'll be able to become uh, probably the next great Alabama lineman. Yeah, I don't see why not. And he's the number one tackle in the country, and he's going to Alabama. And he's mean. Yeah. Like legitimately yeah. mean, wants to wants to hurt you. He, he arrives with bad intentions. Yeah. They also get uh, Tua Tagovailoa, one of the top quarterbacks in the country, already early enrolled. Again, I think Bama had uh, double-digit early enrollees again this year. 
Tua uh, hails from Hawaii, and, and just being around him at the Army All-America game, at the opening, at some recruiting camps, kids just seem to flock to him, man. They really enjoy playing with him. He is a, a very intense competitor and a guy who I, I think is is cool being one of the guys and the leader at the same time, and, and that's what you want in your quarterback. Like You don't want your quarterback to be a, a, so much of a diva that guys won't play hard for him, but you don't want him to be just so you know so much just one of the guys that they blow him off when he says, "Hey, it's 5 a.m. Let's get let's get up when we do our our, our, you know, our routes our routes on air and run stuff over the summer." Yeah, and my favorite thing about my favorite thing about this recruit class is Saban just has like the unmitigated gall to be like upset about the fact that they didn't sign two cornerbacks. Um, you know, they got one; he's a three-star kid. Um, but then Saban goes on ESPN and, you know, he talks about uh, being the perfectionist that he is. He talks about how, you know, they didn't do what they wanted to do at corner. I, it, it's the best recruiting class they've ever had. It's another number one class. And the guy still talks about how they can get better, what they need to do next year. And so, you know, don't be surprised when the top three corners in the country, for instance, go to Alabama next season because they need to make up the numbers. Now, there's a kid in this class. Alabama signed four four or five star receivers. Alabama really doesn't throw the ball that much, Richard. Where, where are these balls going to go? I mean, they got to go somewhere. But this is the thing of Saban sees a deficiency. Um, you know, Calvin Ridley is an incredible talent, kind of disappeared at the end of the season. Darius Stewart's gone. Um, you know, Sims can play, we, we think, but he's a younger guy. And so, especially because you need guys that, if this is about Jalen Hurts' maturation as a passer, you need guys on the receiving end to help him out. Um, and that is what they're doing, rolling these guys in. It, it's a situation of Alabama has a deficiency. They know there's something there that can get better, despite the baseline level of just being stinking elite. Um, and, and they go out and they get it. They just did what they had to do on the trail, and they did it better than anybody else. Exactly right. And I'll add this. I really believe Devontae Smith, the last kid they signed today, the receiver out of Louisiana, I think he could be a top-level corner as well. If he's not getting a whole lot of playing time early on, it would not totally shock me to see him maybe yeah, try a little corner bit. They also landed the number one junior college offensive lineman and defensive lineman in the nation, which is just ridiculous. And we could talk about Alabama for an hour, but you guys probably want us to move on <laughs> to other schools. So let's go now to the number two school in the rankings, Ohio State. Uh, Ohio State, the Buckeyes. A little bit smaller class, incredible talent level in the class, though. Five five-stars, 14 four-stars. Richard, 19 of their 21 signees were four or five-stars. I don't think I've ever seen a ratio that high. Yeah, if you if you want to be technical about it, Ohio State's class is uh, uh, on a star average better than Alabama's. Uh, Ohio State gets in a 94.47 average to Alabama's 93.61. The difference is Alabama just had more kids. Six five-stars to Ohio State's five, 18 four-stars to Ohio State's 14. It's a quantity thing more than it's a quality thing. Look, Ohio State is very young uh, as a unit. This is as bad as Ohio State's going to be for like three or four years, so just get ready for that. Um, but like you said, they did what they had to do, and they, and they signed another elite recruiting class. These are the best two coaches in the game uh, at what they do. And, you know, h- here we are again sitting with Ohio State. You know, there was a time when they really kind of challenged for the number one class and we really thought, wow, they may be able to actually uh, unseat Alabama and bring in the number one class. Um, but I'm not going to sit here and scoff uh, at the class that they did end up end up bringing in uh, it's still elite and they got a quarterback which is i think that i think it's just something we're kind of not talking about but the way uh urban meyer's offense 
is so predicated on obviously on quarterback skill, and I know every offense needs a good quarterback, but bear with me. Um, Tate Martell is a guy that Ohio State can really build around, um, and it's a guy that Urban Meyer can can take and really mold into what he really wants, um, and and take things and continue things at this level. I, I totally agree that they also landed the number one and number two corners in the class, in Jeffrey Okuda out of Texas and Sean Wade out of Florida. So they. They go into Florida and Texas and land the number one and number two corners in the country. Both are six one and a half, six foot two. They also go in and, and they get Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis, who I, I believe are, are two. You know, Myers manned up a tackle. I think Davis is just a, a fantastic guard. I love watching Davis play too because he knows he's a guard. He's not one of these kids out there that, that at a camp tells me how, how he's a tackle and, and I think, okay, well, it's going to take maybe a year uh, for you to realize you're a guard and, and to really embrace playing guard. He's a dominant guard. He's pancaking people. In pass rush drills, That's yeah, special. Yeah, it's 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 crazy, and and they're gonna roll. I, I think that when you look at kind of the defensive line and what they're doing there, I think because of and even kind of the offensive line, the the fact of you're bringing these good guys, but in a similar way of Alabama, the ability to stash them, to stash them on the roster, whether it's redshirt or whether it's just not rolling them out on the field, it becomes a thing of it builds upon itself. Like, you you send whoever you send to the draft, and then you roll guys in that are sophomores or juniors onto the field the next year. And so you've got this front seven that doesn't really ever drop off athleticism-wise, maybe experience-wise it does, but it doesn't drop off from an athleticism standpoint because there aren't any holes in, like, the three deep we're talking about. Um, and so that's one of the things that Ohio State does really well. It, like, like you'll hear us say... When it gets to you know playoff time and stuff like that, teams with elite depth are teams that win, um, and and that is what these two schools, Alabama and Ohio State, because I, I really do think you you can lump these two together with how elite they both recruit. Um, that is something that is that is key when we get to this who's going to win a national championship thing. Exactly right. And look, uh, crazy good injury luck is not repeatable strategy or skill. Okay, yeah. so having that yeah. depth as you go through the grind of the college ball season is so important. We already spoke about Georgia, so let's go on to uh, to USC, who closers of the day, right? Yeah, Trojans ball hard. Uh, they get the uh, they get Lewis um, and uh, Greg Johnson, uh, who goes to the same school. They're both uh, wide receivers in Los Angeles, and they get to stay. Um, but Tufe- Jay Tufeli is a guy that they were able to pip from Utah. Um, Utah kind of thought he was earmarked as a defensive tackle. He's the third best defensive tackle in the nation. Um, and the thing we we uh, we wrote this last week in a sense of this is at the elite level, top line level, not an awesome um, defensive tackle class. A lot of times you'll have six or seven five star defensive tackles. This year you had two, and Tufeli is that number three uh, defensive tackle, and he just misses the cut to be a five star. So USC. Um, kind of flexes their west of the Rocky Mountains muscle and gets him to come to Los Angeles, and and that's going to be huge. Um, USC apparently can do no wrong. Um, it's like I don't think they've done anything wrong since like October <laughs> on the field or off, and uh, and it continues. They, the Trojans, when they're right, and I think right now you can say they're they're certainly on the way to being really right. They have a gear they can shift into that the rest of the Pac-12 simply does not, and essentially. Not on all kids, but on a lot of kids, maybe an uncomfortable number of kids For if you're a Pac-12 fan, USC kind of has right of first refusal, okay? <laughs> and but west of the Rocky Mountains, they, they, they kind of do. I mean, they like you said, they get Jay Tufella. They also got Marlon Tuit. Uh, gosh, I always butcher this. Uh, 
Tui a lot. lot, lot uh, Don't look at me. Tui, Mar- Marlon Tui, the, the other the other really elite defensive tackle west of the Rockies. He's out of Independence, Oregon. Um, he was going to Washington. USC flipped him from Washington. They also, in my opinion, grabbed the second best safety combination in the country, second only to LSU, who we'll talk about in a minute. You mentioned uh, uh, Lewis as, as well as, as a pass catcher, and Josh Fallow as, as, as a pass catcher. This is an excellent class for USC. Two five stars, twelve four stars. Six of those came today. Yeah, that's a, that's a strong, strong close, and that is, you know, sometimes sometimes you think they plan it this way. And sometimes they do. I don't know if USC did. I don't want to say that. But it's a situation of if you want to make a splash, you really want to make a splash. USC has hit um, in essentially every one of the last five months of the calendar. Like I said, they, they, they have stayed in the limelight of the news since October as being this thing this this train that's building and coming. Now we're in the offseason. They have Sam Darnold. Um, who is going to uh, – you want your Heisman odds already? All right, well, Sam Darnold is going to be high and should be high. Um, that is – you know, you've got a, a Heisman quarterback, or at least that looks like he could win the Heisman. And so you this thing is going to build and build and build, and it's just like you said, the Pac-12 is going to have a tough time keeping up with USC once the train really leaves the station. I think it has. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, And, and I think back today – who did they beat out for for these top kids? I think this is sort of a, when USC's right. They just there's not a lot of competition. They, they did beat out FSU for Levi Jones, and FSU's an elite recruiter. But you know, for for Jay, unless you really bought that he was going to go east and, and and get Ohio State, it was mostly BYU and Utah that they beat out. They beat out Washington for for Marlin. They beat out Nebraska and Oregon for uh, uh, for for Greg uh, Greg and, and and Lewis. So you know that those are are good recruiting schools. They're not great recruiting schools, and that is USC's real advantage. They are the only true blue blood west of the Rocky Mountains. You know the one thing that I think is interesting? We're not talking about, and obviously we're keeping it the top ten here, but no one talked about UCLA all day. No. UCLA signed the best player in the country, folks, and no one talked about them. That's the power of USC. Ten miles across town, ten miles across Los Angeles, we're talking about USC because USC is USC. Exactly right. And and since we mentioned him, Jalen Phillips is, is the number one uh, player in the country, defensive end, just phenomenal talent, man. 6'5", 245, 250, I think he has the frame to add, probably 15, 20 more. Great get off. Uh, I, I love his motor. He does not quit. And when you have a guy with that kind of talent and that natural motor, and, and maybe you can teach motor, maybe you can't. I'm not so sure that you can teach that want to on every snap that he displays, that the way he chases down guys, how hard he played in the All-Star game, not not just rushing the passer, but also against the run. I think that that kind of effort level on a down-to-down basis is an innate quality in some guys, and he's got it, and he's got the talent. That makes him scary good. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, you know, I, we wrote up a scouting report on him, and I think I called him like a predator. Like, he doesn't so much, like, chase your guys down as he just, like, stalks, like, seeks and destroys. Like, the kid can really play. Um, but it, it, it just doesn't matter because of what USC is. Uh, and, and that's just a testament to, again, what they are. All right. Uh, from USC to Michigan, uh, another huge classroom, one they absolutely had to have, right? With, with losing, when they, they lost almost their entire roster. So it, it's good that they brought in two five stars and, and uh, what, 19 four stars, I think it was today? Yeah. USC, uh, or excuse me, Michigan. Michigan lost over 40 seniors, a lot of players left. Um, and so when you bring in this this really big class, um, Michigan's got the recruiting heft 
to make it very, very deep and very, very good. Um, and so, yes, they were going to sign a lot of people. Um, maybe that means you take a chance on a guy you wouldn't otherwise sign. Um, but I don't think Michigan really did that. I mean, they got good players pretty much top to bottom. And in a sense of when you have a class this big, you can also kind of hide some guys. Um, like, let's say this guy, this guy's not really panning out or not developing. Um, you know, either he transfers, which is best for him, or he's able to kind of sit a little bit longer because the roster is so deep and talented. It was the class Michigan had to have to restock its depth. They land uh, number one receiver Donovan Peoples-Jones out of Cast Tech there in Detroit. Never really thought he was going anywhere else. I mean, took a lot of visits elsewhere, but um, ultimately he does ink with Michigan. That was that happened a couple weeks ago, but he, but he made it official. And then also Aubrey Solomon, who I know I think we have a, a scouting report on as well, out of uh, uh, Lee, Georgia, and that was uh, that was very impressive to get that five-star DT. Yeah, biggest thing with Aubrey Solomon is he decommitted and then recommitted. That, that doesn't really happen, um, especially it doesn't really happen at this level with this level of talent. When you decommit from somewhere, you know, you're, you're just not going there. Um, but Solomon ended up going back to Michigan today on signing day. Um, I don't know if he plays immediately at Michigan, but some point down the road, it's going to be him and Rashawn Gary on the same defensive <laughs> line. Have fun, all right? Just have fun scheming against those guys. Um, and, you know, Michigan is a defense – that is predicated on penetration when you watch them. The, the defensive line, the front seven, was very good this year, uh, very talented against the teams that they play, and they were able to get a lot of pressure, and they were able to stuff the run. Um, and that's what obviously what you have to do up in Big Ten country. And so Solomon will help them. Uh, Solomon's, more, I think, more of a three-technique kind of guy. Um, he, he is very quick out of his stance. He's not necessarily your, your uh, zero-nose anchor guy. And that's fine. That's fine. There's a place for him. Um, and you stick him there, and, and he plays really well. I, I think when you do stuff, when you're when you're scheming against uh, a guy like this, and you're trying to run power, for instance, you got a guy like Solomon on the backside that can uh, that can rush into the gap vacated by a pulling guard before the tackle can block down. And I know it's kind of hard when you can't see it in your mind's eye, but that's a big deal because Aubrey Solomon can pressure those types of runs that are going away from him. They can He can bring pressure from behind, and that just wreaks havoc with what teams try to do when they run the ball. Michigan is a real blitz-heavy team. And you know, you know it's great to get, to get uh, pressure with the blitz. Richard, you know what's better than getting pressure with the blitz? Getting pressure without the blitz. Right, which means you got more guys in coverage, and Aubrey Solomon can help you do that. Now at the number six, uh, Florida State had a uh, up-and-down day uh, overall as far as their close. Started the day a little rough with, with Levi Jones going to USC, added Leonard Warner, the four-star uh, linebacker out of Georgia. Then a bunch of targets went elsewhere, uh, and then they end up landing Marvin Wilson in the last uh, last commitment of the day, the five-star number one defensive tackle in the country. At the end, they land the number one running back, the number one defensive end, the number one defensive tackle, four five-stars in all, and that's included – well, that doesn't even include Stanford Samuels III, who was a five-star the whole way and then got dropped after he got hurt, and then eight four-stars. It's a top-heavy class. I, I, I'd like your thoughts on Wilson. I, I think he's a very interesting evaluation. I, I, th- I think Wilson is more of an anchor, more of a one-technique kind of guy, um, a guy that can anchor your defense. Um, I think that he is – He's a bigger guy, and I think that he's going to lose some of that baby fat um, as he gets into college, and he's going to just kind of be a better, like a better athlete. 
Um, guys like that, you worry about motor. Um, you know, like you said, can you coach motor? Uh, we're going to find out. Not to say that that uh, that he slacks off or anything like that, but that is an issue with bigger guys. Um, can they keep consistent every single down? Um, I think with, with Florida State, uh, Florida closes strong. Miami closes strong. Lane Kiffin's in the state. Uh, Butch Davis is down at FIU doing things okay. Scott Frost is at uh, is at UCF, and Charlie Strong is at USF. Guess what didn't matter? Any of that. Florida State did what it had to do, and they stayed as the best recruiting power in the state, which they have been for four or five years in a sense of uh, unquestioned, undisputed for four or five years. Yeah, Jimbo Fisher, the, again, signed the number one class which he in the ACC, which he has done every year since he's been a head coach, and that's a good way to consistently compete for conference titles if you do that. Uh, they obviously get Cam Akers early and Roley already on campus. Richard, they identified a need at running back, which to me is not – like, I don't want to give him too much credit for doing that because uh, you have Dalvin Cook. So it's like, yeah. hey, he's leaving. That's a need. Yeah. Like, I, but the thing is, I, I mean, you see you see him more than I do. I think Jack Patrick's pretty good, right? Yeah. And he's going to get pushed immediately. Exactly. Because Cam Akers walks onto campus. He was already on campus as an early enrollee, correct? Yep. Yeah. He's on campus as an early enrollee. You're going to see this guy in spring show out. And that is a guy that's going to kind of, the hype is going to build around him. Um, as we get towards week one in September. And then, yeah, and they are both guys that you can roll out there. And if you've got um, if you've got DeAndre Francois, a guy that you were trying to protect at quarterback, what's the best friend to a good quarterback, a really good or running game? And so you got a two, at, at maybe at worst, a two-headed monster at running back with these two really, uh, really good backs. Uh, Florida State's in a good spot. Yeah, on the Rivals rankings they signed uh... – I think they might have been the first team ever to do this. Three of the top five players in, in the nation, uh, which is craziness. Um, they, I mean, they also signed, I think, the number five back in the country in, in, in LeBourne, and then also another top 15 back in Jaquandre White. It, it's pretty rare for uh, when I ask a kid, hey, compare your game to somebody, right? A lot of times these kids don't have great like self-awareness. I've had a kid tell me that Julio Jones was a comparison despite being like three inches shorter and like 50 pounds lighter. Uh, Kim Akers said Everybody says Dalvin, but I really think I'm more Zeke Elliott. And I was like, damn, that is good. Yeah. Like he doesn't he's not quite as loose in the hips as Dalvin is, but but I think he's certainly uh bigger and stronger at the same you know, same point in his development of the high school career. And he's a little more straight line. So I, I think that's actually a, a really good comparison. I will ask you this. Do you think Florida State did what it needed to do at wide receiver? Um Yes and no. I I love DJ Matthews. If Tamori and Terry qualifies then yes, absolutely. That that kid's really talented. Now, he needs a test score from what I understand, so we'll see if he gets that. Uh, the GPA, is, as far as we know, is okay. The one thing we saw them not do was reach. Mm-hmm. A, lo- a lot of people were speculating, will they will they try to flip a kid from, from UCF? Will they try to flip a kid from Miami? And FSU went after two stars in, in Henry Ruggs and Devontae Smith. Both picked Alabama, and they said, we're not going to extend any more offers to, to other receivers here. So I, I think... Receivers are a spot where you can come in and play early, and they're in a state where you can usually find receivers. So I'm not too worried about that. Uh, LSU, number seven uh, in in the nation, Ed Orgeron's first class. What, what what did you think about what they did today? I I, th- I mean I thought it was fine. I but th- I think the problem is I just thought it was fine. Like it didn't blow everybody's doors off. And you made this point too. Like Ed Orgeron is your you know your ace recruiter, et cetera, et cetera, and he didn't blow us away with this class. Yeah, I mean, number seven, I think LSU fans were certainly expecting to finish higher. Fedarian Mathis uh, yesterday got, got it started, yesterday being Tuesday, 
by picking Alabama. Uh, they don't keep Devontae Smith in the state. They did get uh, uh, Kalevon Chasen, or, or, or Kalevon Chasen, uh, the, the defensive end, <laughs> out of Houston. They, they beat out Texas uh, for, for his signature. That was really big. They, they didn't get Marvin Wilson. They did some really good work two weeks ago with, with flipping Jacob Phillips uh, from Oklahoma, the inside linebacker. Ultimately, one five-star, 15 four-stars. This class and Ed Orgeron's tenure at LSU is going to be judged by just two guys in the class, though. That's Lowell Narcisse and Miles Brennan. Yep. Because the one thing LSU has not had in forever is a quarterback. And they got these guys early enrolled. They're talented passers. I actually think that people overestimate the athleticism difference between these two. Lowell, or Narcisse is a better passer than people think. All right, He's not just a runner, and, and, and Brennan's not just a thrower. I, I like their chances of getting a good starter out, out of this group. I mean, they better hope because what what have we done for the last ten years is wonder you know besides Mettenberger is wonder when the quarterback play is going to be elite there. Um, I I wonder about Jacoby Stevens. Does Jacoby Stevens stay on defense? I mean, I, I there's going to be certainly some temptation to move into offense, right? Because of, of, you did a scouting report. That guy's a freak. Yeah, he's uh, Jacoby Stevens. He's a, a safety prospect uh, that LSU ended up signing, obviously. Um, but he's a guy that played both ways in high school, returned some kicks too. Um, the speed is not sudden or violent. It's just kind of consistent. Um, he's a, It's a very smooth type of running style. Um, he, he doesn't necessarily – he doesn't accelerate in and out of cuts. He just maintains speed. And the sp- it's a top-level – uh, it's a top level speed that he just maintains through and for the cuts a tall and the moves. Guy, yeah, that's that's pretty rare for a tall guy to not have to gear down a whole lot through his cuts. Yeah, he just moves, and so it's if you were racing this guy and you can see it on tape, sometimes he'll run or run back a kick, and some some guy will think he has an angle on them or whatever, and they'll end up in a foot race, and the guy takes like three steps, and he's five yards uh, ahead of the guy. Um, Jacoby Stevens is a very very intriguing prospect. If he does play safety, and I think that's where he'll start out. Um, LSU has the best safety duo in the country because they also got Grant Delpit uh, from from the IMG Academy. LSU always has freaks at safety. Yeah, and this is you know we we, we joke about the DBU. We're in Florida. We know all about the DBU debate. Um, but LSU LSU might have just won the day with these guys if Stevens stays at safety. No doubt. All right, to Oklahoma, number eight in the composite rankings, the, their best finish in in quite some time. Yeah, Texas. Um, Texas lost the Red River recruiting rivalry today. Um, you know, Texas is a team that finished, I believe they're number 20, like six right now. Um, and that's in part because Oklahoma came into the state and very kind of sneakily got the job done. Like we're talking about Oklahoma as a top 10 recruiting class right now. And that's another team that, uh, or that's another team that a lot of people aren't really talking about. Um, but they came in the state and, and they beat Texas kind of at their own game. And, and that's kind of interesting. I think they took advantage of Texas being down i think if texas doesn't stay down this year i think there's a lot more competition um for guys like marvin wilson and and stuff like that that texas is able to get and really boost their own class um but because of some things that texas just wasn't able to do oklahoma kind of finds their niche in there um comes in the state and grabs some guys you know the one thing oklahoma offered this year that texas didn't that a&m didn't that baylor didn't that, that texas tech didn't stability yeah bob yeah. stoops has been there I mean, what, coming out, he's in his second decade now. He knows how to coach football. And, and I wrote, I went to Dallas and, I, and, and Houston this summer, and I talked to a bunch of Texas sources, and I wrote an article that said, look, that these Texas recruits are, are playing wait and see with the Longhorns and with the Aggies this year. And as they were waiting and seeing, 
and not really liking what they saw very much. You know who was, who was picking them off? Oklahoma. 18 four-stars this year. No five-stars, but 18 four-stars. I think half of those from the state of Texas. Look, the state of Oklahoma has good football. It doesn't have great football. If you want to be a nationally elite team like Oklahoma wants to continue to be, you have to go outside of your state to, to get some talent. And I think Oklahoma did a really good job of that. Um, I, I love the Robinson kid at, at, at guard. I think he's great. Levi Draper is a very active linebacker. Robert Barnes, their safety, is a ball hawk and, and I think an underrated guy. Um, and, and then the, the quarterback, Chris Robinson, not the biggest arm in the world, but you know Baker Mayfield doesn't have it either. And, mm-hmm. and they, they, they put up points on points in, in that offense. Yeah, and you know it's a Big Twelve. It's it's a league where I think there are two brands in the Big Twelve. No, I I don't care. There's two brands in the Big Twelve. It's Oklahoma and it's Texas, um, and those two are the ones that I think, from a league standpoint, you need to jockey for position. Um, and with things like that, Oklahoma is able to say like, "Hey, we beat them on the field. We beat them on the recruiting trail," and that's a feather in your cap when you're going to come in the state again because Texas isn't going anywhere with Tom Herman. Texas Texas is not going to do this again bleed at and so Oklahoma is going to have to fight for kids even more and more and more and more and this is something that they can say um, you know we brought in all this talent and stuff like that come play with the best you know I had the quietest national signer day of any of the top 10 teams I think Auburn yeah yeah they, they finished number nine and uh, I, I how many times do we talk about them all day maybe, maybe once when when Markavius Bryant kind of pulled the shocker and, and committed to, to the Auburn Tigers over LSU and Georgia that, that was weird because it was the defensive end out of, uh, I think he's out of Chris County, Georgia. UGA, people thought LSU was getting him. LSU thought LSU was getting him. I don't think anybody was predicting Auburn down the stretch for this guy, at least at least not that I saw. And all of a sudden, boom, he's on the planes. That, that, that was a nice kid for them. Yeah, and you say all the time, follow the visits. And uh, George, or, uh, Auburn got the last visit. You know, there's a picture of... Uh, uh, of Bryant catching fish with Gus Malzahn. Um, Travis Adams is, uh, I believe, Bryant's cousin. Um, so, you know, you got a little family connection there. But, yeah, I, I think the big – and you have the note here. I think one of the reasons why this class doesn't get enough play is because they didn't have to go get a quarterback because they had Jared Stidham already on the roster. They don't have to go out there and need a quarterback. Um, I, I do think it is interesting that they were able to navigate the offensive questions of Rhett Lashley um, no longer there. Rhett Lashley leaves in, what was it, early January? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a strange time for a coordinator to leave, but Gus was able to kind of assuage whatever concerns anybody had, uh, uh, I guess, because they were still able to come out here and get a top-ten class. All right. Fair or not fair? Jarrett Stidham is the most important recruit in this class for 2017. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think that they – what was your problem last year? You got a Sean White with a half an arm, and you got a John Franklin who can't really play. Um, you know, you, you were worried so much about quarterback play, and that offense, just similar to Urban Meyer, this offense is so predicated on what happens at quarterback. It, it you know, they run the ball a lot, but it, it it's still if the quarterback can't go, this offense is so unbelievably hamstrung. Um, but the the thing is, you've got Stidham who is kind of a square peg in a round hole with what he does he's an air raid guy in a spread system or in a uh, in, in a read option system so what are we going to do here how's this going to work and so i think that's up to gus to figure out from a scheme standpoint i think gus is is bright enough of a coordinator uh and an offensive mind to do that but gus is going to have to relax some of the things i think he thinks 
he has to do to be successful. I think there's got to be a, a restructuring of the offense around Stidham because that guy can that guy can wing the pig. There's no doubt about it. And look, it, this is the, Stidham is by far the best passer head coach Gus Malzahn has ever had. I have to say head coach because he also had Cam Newton. So look, he's I think he's the best passer Malzahn's ever had as as a, as a head coach. Yeah, well, as a head coach, yeah, as a head coach, yeah. I mean, certainly not not better than Cam, but that, he was a coordinator with Cam, so yeah. you know, I I think he probably will adapt the offense some. Sean White, when he was healthy, wasn't too bad this year. Yeah, he he's just, fine. He was just very rarely healthy, and and Auburn still went to the Sugar Bowl. I think they Stidham might be worth like a full win or maybe even a win and a half in the win projections if things go right for them. Yeah, and then you know we're back to an, an SEC West that is. Obviously Alabama, but the also Rans are here jockeying. You know, you've got a maybe Texas A&M does something in October, November. Who knows? But then you've got Auburn and you've got LSU. Maybe um, you've got those two teams jockeying for position. Um, maybe Arkansas got a little bit better on defense today. Uh, you know, we don't know if that translates into next season. We'll see. Um, but you know, the SEC West is still going to be um, is still going to be. It, it, parody, whatever you want to call it, is going to be there. And if Auburn is a clear number two, then that obviously helps Auburn down the road in recruiting. They also managed to hold on to Calvin Ashley, the five-star offensive tackle who used to be in Florida and is now uh, w- w- ended up uh, transferring up to high school in Maryland. And the last thing I'll say about Auburn is a good season from Auburn gives you stability to go into recruiting next season because Arkansas falters, AM falters, one of those guys making $4 million, Hugh Freeze falters, mm-hmm. and we, we even talked about Ole Miss, but Hugh Freeze doesn't sign this super great class. And so you've got the the the, the seats maybe turning up in heat at a, at a bunch of different places. If you've got a 10-win, 11-win Gus that's saying, hey, you know, I'm still here, I'm still going to be here, um, that helps you on the recruiting trail as well. How many staffs in the SEC entering next season – do you feel are safe regardless of something absolutely wild happening? Uh, maybe. Nick? I, probably n- pretty safe. Yeah, n- Nick's safe. Kirby's safe. Um, man, I think Stoops is safe, honestly. Yeah. Um, Edo's safe. Edo's safe. I think Derek Mason's safe. Yep. Um, so, what are we talking, five or six? Yeah. So, you're yeah. talking about over half of the SEC. Muschamp's safe, too. Yeah, I think yeah. Muschamp's safe, too. So, about half the SEC is going to be negatively recruited next year based on job security. If I'm recruiting against, I don't know, Tennessee or Texas A&M, I'm bringing up every single day all these articles that are going to be written this offseason, and they'll come, watch, about how Butch Jones starts the year on the hot seat. Kevin Sumlin starts the year on the hot seat. You know, Maybe maybe Brett Bielema does too. That makes it harder to establish the good relationships with the kids early because the kids are going to put you in that very difficult wait-and-see mode, and it puts the onus on you to kind of knock your season out of the park, which is tough to do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, team number ten, a team that if I had given you five to one odds this morning, would not have taken them. Ten to one. I, I probably wouldn't have taken those. All right. So if I give you twenty one, you probably you probably take a. Stab I'll take at that. It. I'll bite that. I'll okay. bite that. Apple. All right. The Florida Gators closed from number thirty five, uh, like two weeks ago, number ten overall class. Yeah, that was. See, okay. I, I thought Florida's. Um, I thought Florida was going to close fine. Um, I did not think they were going to close this strong. When I say fine, I say maybe 15, 17-ish uh, class. I did not think they were going to barely crack the top 10. Um, that is that is big 
for Jim McElwain. I think that, and and we've our colleague Bill Connolly has a um has has a kind of a, a triangular pyramid, whatever, of program development. It's about talent acquisition, development, and deployment. And I think Florida. If Florida's not going to do the acquisition part really well, then you better do the development and the deployment really well. That takes time, and time's something you don't really have at Florida. So if you can assuage those concerns a little bit by bringing in a class that's pretty good, um, I think you make some people feel better about you as Jim McElwain going into this season. Like, let's say they get nine wins, um, and they have quarterback play that just is – so, like it has a pulse at quarterback. Um, I think you're able to say then as Florida, hey, we, we're building something. And then I don't think new athletic director Scott Strickland has as much of a mandate um, to, to fire McElwain or whatever. Uh, but, you know, if, if he were to have tanked this class or whatever, I, I think there would be some real trouble brewing if this team didn't really play well. But I, I think you can kind of stave off some of the concerns by pointing to this class and say, hey, we're really building something. Not great classes the first two years. Transitional class. Second season wasn't great. Third class is uh, you know, pretty good. You mentioned McElwain doesn't have a whole lot of time to develop talent at Florida. You know what else he doesn't have? The option not to do talent acquisition. This yeah, is not a Kansas State or a Wisconsin. The Bull Gators are going to pay attention to the recruiting rankings yeah. because they're going to go to work with Miami and FSU fans. Mm-hmm. If you're the University of Florida, not recruiting at a high level is not an option. I'm not saying you got to be Bama every year, but you, you can't be hanging around number 35 you know, this close to signing day. They, they pulled this out. That can't be a trend. Exactly. You, you can't toe that line. We cannot be sitting here January 20th every single year saying oh what's going to happen with florida two weeks from signing day where's what that's not going to cut it because at the end of the day that that's going to teeter 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 and other teams are going to use that to negatively recruit against you it's going to say hey we've got a whole bunch of talent come play with us you're looking at florida's class you're not going to play with a whole lot of talent or whatever and that appeals to some kids who want to be stars but other kids don't necessarily want that um, so Florida was kind of walking a perilous road, but I, like we said, they closed strong. I think they did what they had to do. Could it have been a little bit better? Sure. Um, but I think if, if, if McElwain's going to stick around, I think this is a nice building block to have. Um, I know Florida fans don't want to be patient. I know Will Muschamp signed three top five recruiting classes. Um, I know that, 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 that patience has worn thin in Gainesville. Um, but I, I think if you want to extrapolate this, on a long-term kind of curve for McIlwain, I think this is very, very good for him as long as the on-field product is something that that is at least digestible to fans, and it hasn't been despite two SEC championships. I, I will give McIlwain credit for a couple of things. First, I, I do think he's a good evaluator of talent. I also think that he has put together more balanced classes than Will Muschamp. Will Muschamp's classes yeah, at times yeah. were did not necessarily always hit the right number of needs, like oh, well, I, Lyman. <laughs> well, I think you're seeing that you're seeing that in what happened the last two years. Now we are, I guess, we're about done with uh, Will Muschamp talent uh, in Gainesville. Yeah, and Florida signed one of my guys. Every year you're, <laughs> you're, you're on the recruiting trail. There's these guys, you, you know, maybe you don't like them as much. Some of the national like like rankings do, and then there's some guys you like more. To Daryl Slayton, T.J. Slayton is one of my dudes. I watched him at, at, at Heritage. This is a guy, I, I, you know, you, you, hear, you hear things. It's like, hey, he thinks he's a basketball player. He's got to get that out of the system. Sure, that, that's potentially a, a concern, but I don't think he's going to play basketball at Florida and not at, like, 6'3", 360. <laughs> All right. He thinks he's a defensive tackle. 
okay, look, and I think Florida signing to play defensive tackle. As an offensive, and I think he could be a damn good defensive tackle, by the way. This kid showed up at close to 360 pounds at the Army game. He looked like, 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 you know, he didn't look in shape, but he went out there and he kicked everybody's butt. The balance, the body control, the explosion, the aggression. Man, to be able to have that body control and that quickness at 360 when he should probably be 320, man. The potential in that kid is awesome. That is a – there's some, like, Sharif Floyd-like potential there if he stays on defense. I think his ultimate best potential is is on offense at guard. If Florida needs him to de-tackle, I think he can still be a great player. He's just that level of athlete. This is a kid that could dunk at 6'3", 360. <laughs> that's a big boy. That's a lot of, that's a lot of gravity kind of coming down yeah. on you as you go up. I, I know you, you like James Robinson a lot as well. Yeah, Robin James. So I, I mean, I we got to talk about James Robinson. Yeah, let's do it real quick. <laughs> um, so uh, James Robinson caught a marijuana citation in Columbus last weekend, the weekend of the twentieth, the final official visit weekend. Okay. Um, so recently caught a weed citation in Columbus. Uh, not a great situation. Ohio State pulled the offer. Oklahoma pulled the offer. Florida notably said that they would not take him, could not take him. Florida's administration did that. Um, and there's there's a situation there of. Was Florida's administration under Scott Strickland a little bit more gun shy than they would have already been because of what happened with uh, Strickland and Jeffrey Simmons, who is a guy that got signed at Mississippi State um, and and ran into some domestic violence issues and and ended up having to to they had to kind of talk that out at. Uh, at, what was it, SEC Spring SC, meetings yeah, yeah. last year, and they they bungled that and it was a mess. And so Strickland's at Florida now. And so maybe he's a little bit gun shy on taking guys that have some character issues. Um, but, you know, it was said that McElwain called 18 schools. I believe Zach Albert, SEC Country, um, who's my dude. I got to give him a shout out there. Um, he reported that uh, that 18 schools were contacted by Will Muschamp, or excuse me, by Jim McElwain to try and get Robinson somewhere. Um, and Robinson said he wasn't going to commit on signing day two days ago. And then today, what happens, but Jim McElwain tweets out that James Robinson is in the class right before uh, McElwain goes to speak to the media for his post-signing day press conference. So I think what Robinson gives Florida on the field is he's a lanky wide receiver. He's a big guy. He's a big target. Um, he's a long target, too. Um, and and that is something that I think Florida is going to be Florida is going to salivate over, um, and it helps out the quarterback situation um, at UF. Uh, are there character concerns about Robinson? I I think that that is something that's in the eye of the beholder, um, and and we'll see how that pans out. I think at the end of the day, Florida is able to pitch this as, hey, we gave this kid a second chance, and like I think McElwain said today, like we can be a part of his life moving forward, and and kind of that reform, kind of fatherly. Uh, air aspect and so you know you wish the kid the best wherever it is that he goes and we'll see how it works at florida and i really think man you can't pull a kid's offer over a weed citation right <laughs> come on can we be real I'm glad you this? said it all right no you I'm, cannot yeah, pull I'm, a kid's offer over a weed citation right, I'm, all right I'm the let's FSU grow up here. now look if florida had pre-existing concerns about behavior and then was sort of under this if he stay you know stays out of trouble over the last six months or something then he's a take in the class then I kind of get it, but I still don't like it. You know what I mean? It's it, it's a weed citation. Also, you think he was the only one smoking weed? Yeah, exactly. C- this on. is this is a situation, uh, and you know he actually kind of tweeted and then deleted that mm-hmm. yeah. um, that he wasn't the only but or person on the trip. I should say uh, 
that was smoking weed. A 17-year-old kid from Lakeland, Florida does not get up to Columbus, Ohio and instantly have a weed hookup. Exactly. And so it's a situation of... It, it's it's not even about the fact that you were doing this. It's the fact that you were dumb enough to get caught. And that's the situation. That The optics of the situation are as such for this guy. Um, and that's kind of the way the situation kind of goes. And, and I think Florida, just from knowing the kids they've signed recently, I think they have enough good kids on that team that they can, you know, like, like you – you got to balance your potential troublemakers and, and your guys who are sort of your do everything the coach says guys. Yeah, now, you you're not going to win at the level that Florida wants to win with a bunch of choir boys. Sorry, right? I'm, exactly. Sorry. Where it gets in trouble is if you have way too many guys who, who are not choir boys. You got you got to balance that out. I also like our Darius Lemons, the running back. By the way, I don't think he's as talented as this guy I'm about to name drop. So let me say this very clearly. <laughs> Stylistically, his running style reminds me. Of Darren McFadden, ooh, he's a he's an aggressive physical slasher, and and I, and I, I really like it. Um, he, he's I, I think he's a really good back. Yeah, and we'll see how Florida uses him, um, because like we said, uh, you're gonna need to run the ball effectively to take some modicum of pressure over whoever it is at quarterback. And I, I, you know, one last thing too, going into this week, it looked like Miami was going to really smoke the Gators on, on signing day. And I think that's an important narrative to turn around as well. Even though Miami's not a rival, you don't want to go into this idea that, hey, you got out-recruited by both FSU and Miami. That's a really bad PR battle to, to, to have to fight. And now Florida does not have to fight it. Yeah, and especially, given the fact that you play Miami in two years too. Oh, sure. That's, you play Miami in two years in Orlando – um, that's going to be that's going to be a big deal and a big subplot. And you know, you say what you want about Miami on the field, whatever. Mark Richt is no slouch. Mark Richt can recruit. Mark Richt can recruit well. And if you're from Florida, as much as we bag on Miami or whatever, Miami, it's still Miami. The mistake. I know it's been 15 years. The mystique around Miami is going to be there because of dads, because of older brothers, because of older sisters that watched the Canes when they were when they were my age. I'm 23. Um, when they were my age, I was seven and eight when Miami was having the best teams they've had in two decades, three decades. Um, and so that is still there with the people in South Florida, with the people that, that when they think about Miami, they think about Andre Johnson, they think about Ken Dorsey, Willis McGahee, Butch Davis, like that kind of that kind of thing. So yeah, you have to fight against the U. And if the U is going to come up, now it's Florida and it's Florida State and it's Miami as this triumvirate. And then all those second level coaches that we talked about in the state of Florida, Scott Frost, Charlie Strong, Lane Kiffin, Butch Davis, those guys, are they going to get every four-star? No, of course not. But you're telling me FAU under Lane Kiffin is not going to pip a four-star or two? You know, yeah. that, that's, that's going to be a thing. And so the, the, the bottom level of the state is percolating. It's coming up a little bit here and there. Florida State is, is Florida State. All right. And then if Miami's going to be on your level, Florida, as this, like, second-tier recruiting team in the state – you're you're fighting it's not like miami is ucf with ucf level resources i know miami's not swimming in the loot but for all the reasons that i just said miami is still miami and so if that's the second tier of florida recruiting you're gonna have to battle with the canes and, and they had a good class today too i, I don't want to bag on miami here yeah we're, yeah we're not saying miami closed very strong too they they we we wrote an article about who's gonna close strong and miami was in it you nailed that by the way think about this usc was it was the number one you put on there yeah 
Florida and Miami were like two, three, and, yeah. and Nebraska, who also had it, had a pretty decent little close. They ended up getting uh, Blades, who, yeah. who was a Florida decommit out, out of Cali. All right, uh, quick little thing on surprises, maybe. Um, Stanford. Stanford, Stanford, yeah. Stanford had a really sneaky good class that, in, in my opinion, two of the best three offensive tackles in, in, in the country, uh, six, seven, three, fifteen type dudes who are, are just massive. Uh, they also got a really nice tight end in Colby Parkinson. Maryland signed its best class, I think, in my lifetime. Maryland, yeah. And, and I want to. There's a key difference here for Maryland. Maryland had signed some classes under Randy Etzel that featured some real headliner names. Stephon Diggs. Right. Yeah. The difference is this Maryland class does not feature a lot of superstar names, but it's much deeper. You don't have nearly as many kids in this class that you think, eh, he doesn't really help me in the Big Ten. This is a really important class to establish depth for DJ Durkin and, and, and good on him. Yeah, and he, you know, if he wants to run the DMV, then there it is. Um, at Stanford, we talked about Stanford. Stanford started the day in the top ten, um, ended up being, I think they settled at 14, right behind Miami, right in front of Penn State. Um, Stanford, the, the two of the offensive linemen that they signed, they're guys that you kind of worry about in the passing game. Well, what does Stanford not really do? All right, fine. Um, and then uh, we got to talk about Clemson. We do have to talk about yes, Clemson yeah. because you're going to see Clemson. You're going to say, "How's Clemson number 16 in the country?" Well, you look they're at the, the national champion. Richard. Yeah, you you look at the total number of recruits. That is why Clemson is number 16 in the country, uh, recruiting wise. They only signed 14 guys. It's not a big deal. They didn't have to sign a bunch of guys. And when you're Clemson, you can afford a class like this, and the whole train's going to keep on rolling. Don't worry about it. Um, you know, don't shake your hand, your head, or whatever. Clemson, after losing everybody to the NFL two years in a row, brought everybody back off the defense at least that won the national championship. So it, you know, it, it's going to be fine at Clemson. Clemson lost names, not numbers. They just didn't have that many spots. They also, they also have. Trevor Lawrence already committed for the class of 2018. Now, assuming that sticks, I will tell you this. Trevor Lawrence is much more talented than anybody in the 2017 quarterback class. He's one of the most talented. You can ask any recruiting guy out there, one of the best junior quarterbacks you'll ever see out of Cartersville, Georgia. Maybe this is Deshaun all over again with them plucking the best QB in Georgia and UGA fans wringing their hands. So, Richard, this was you know close to an hour, I think uh, – I think a pretty nice little recap. Guys, we have so much more content coming on SBNation.com. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at SBN Recruiting. Uh, I'll actually be in Houston this weekend at the Nike camp checking out the, the top 2018 prospects. You can follow Richard Johnson at at, uh, at RJ underscore rights. Uh, Bud's going to be the only person in Houston this week that doesn't care about the NFL. Yeah, I, I uh, thanks to that Hertz five-star gold President's Choice Circle, I, I did manage to get a rental car on, on very late notice <laughs> on Super Bowl weekend. So, hey, man. If you're a sports writer, you gotta you gotta collect on those uh, on those Marriott points and, and all those points. So, till next time, really appreciate y'all subscribing. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five star review on iTunes, and we will probably try to crank these out on a more regular basis now in 2018 as Espionation makes more of a podcast push. Thanks, y'all.